Welcome to Sunday Sermons and other recordings from the Unitarian Universalist Church of Davis, California. Please visit our website at www.uudavis.org for further information. Church of Davis. I'm the Reverend Beth Banks, and I'm the senior minister for this congregation. And the Reverend Morgan is traveling this week, and she is going to be speaking at Danny Lindstrom's ordination um, today, actually, and also will be doing some work for the Partnership Church, which is an international organization for Unitarian Universalists. And my name is Alex Hader-Winnett. I am this year's ministerial intern and campus minister, and we are so glad to have you this morning. As Unitarian Universalists, we believe that all people are inherently worthy and they are dignified. And you are welcome here, no matter how you identify or who you love, no matter the color of your skin or the money in your pocket or where you spent the night. Regardless of immigration status or citizenship, no matter your understanding of God or life's big questions, you are welcome into this community. This week and next week, we are honoring the fact that last year at this time, we were in deep discussion about becoming a sanctuary congregation, and it would be like the anniversary of next weekend. We actually voted as a congregation to become an official sanctuary church. And so today, we have uh, Tiago Dutra and his wife, Alina, and their daughters, Sarah and Ava. And um, you will hear much more about Tiago's story, but he is an undocumented, what did you call that? Documented. Documented. He is documented. So he is protected by DACA uh, and um, and calls himself a documented. I love that. <laughs> we have been in this really supportive relationship with the AV 540 and Undocumented Student Center for um, since November of 2014 and also with the student group Speak. And those relationships have continued to deepen and to grow in respect over the years. You will hear a lot more about them this week. There is an opportunity to contribute one or five dollars or something in between, but not more, for snacks for the center um, right outside this door. And many opportunities for involvement will come your way next week. So, to acknowledge all that is being held by the people in this room, we light one pillar candle for the sorrows of the world, for the moments that weigh heavily on our hearts, both our personal stories and also for our nation. And we light a second pillar candle for the joys of the world, for the moments of hope and the moments of celebration. We light this chalice, the symbol of our faith, with these opening words from the Reverend Christine Robinson. We gather this hour as people of faith, with joys and sorrows, gifts and needs. We light this beacon of hope, the sign of our quest for truth and meaning in celebration in the life we share together. 
Come, let us worship together. Resilience is a very important word to Tiago. And I looked for just the right reading. And often they just weren't strong enough. But I found something called Wisdom Commons. I have no idea what that is. But it had just the words we needed. Resilience is the ability to work with adversity in such a way that one comes through it unharmed or even better for the experience. Resilience means facing life's difficulties with courage and patience, refusing to give up. It is the quality of character that allows a person or group of people to rebound from misfortune, hardships, and traumas. Resilience is rooted in a tenacity of spirit, a determination to embrace all that makes life worth living, even in the face of overwhelming odds. Much of our resilience comes from community, from the relationships that allow us to lean on each other for support when we most need it. I believe that it's resilience that we need in this time, every one of us. And today, we will hear more about that. And may we all take inspiration from Tiago's story. All of the music was chosen with Tiago in mind, specifically this man, um, that Alex and I spent time meeting him and speaking with him in the beloved Mecca of Pete's Coffee. And so as the choir sings, know that you are singing a song that was chosen specifically. The lyrics are for him. And as you listen to that music as a congregation, know that it was chosen very carefully, as were the hymns. And so Fire of Commitment will sing verses 1 and 2. You're welcome to look in the teal hymnal, but also uh, on the monitors. And we know what commitment looks like. Those of us on the Immigration Justice Task Force have known about Tiago for a lot longer than he knew about us. We had heard his story, and we had been wondering how we could help. So many of the ways that um, the undocumented students could be helped, uh, he just was not able to receive that assistance. And so we kept turning it over and over in our minds about what we could do. And I think, well, it was a plea that went out. I think there was something. It wasn't Facebook, but it was something like that, that we said, you know, here is a crowdsourcing opportunity to help someone. And, and that was not going swimmingly well. And so a few of us got together. This could not be a church effort, which is why you didn't hear about it as a church effort. 
A few people got together and did gather the funds to pay for um, the final quarter, the small amounts that remained um, for his tuition. Um, it, it was an effort that went beyond this congregation but included some members. And so uh, that is when Tiago came to know about us. We had known about him for a long time. <laughs> Um, and wonder, how do I help? How do we help? And that was what we had done. But it couldn't really be done as an entity of this congregation um, because we were following the advice of others on campus to do this in a way um, that did not open us for every request for the many people who do need financial assistance. So it's a balancing act, and you should know that we also do contribute to the student organization on campus to make sure they have emergency funds. So when you support our immigration justice work financially, that's what you're supporting. So it is a wonderful effort that this congregation is, is doing. So Tiago agreed to speak with us, and I was very grateful for that. And he told us his story, which is very compelling. And he asked if I would um, guide the conversation by offering questions. So I have some strategic questions to offer him. So let's tell this story, Tiago. So, Tiago, tell us how you came to the United States and what were some important things in those first years, the beginning experience. Okay. Uh, first of all, I want to thank the congregation just for having me and my family here. Such an honor to be here. Thank you. Um, all right. So, going back, going 20 years back when I first arrived here in the United States, um, I, uh, I was 15 at the time. And uh, I was actually brought here uh, by my aunt. And um, I remember the conversation when the conversation started back in Brazil. Uh, she approached my mom and said, hey, uh, my family and I were moving to the United States, uh, just trying uh, to provide a better life for our family. And uh, she knew this current situation of my family at the time the struggles financially, and uh, she offered my mom, which is something that might sound kind of crazy for someone to hear, but she offered uh, my mom to take me and, and bring me uh, here uh, so I could have a, a better opportunity. And at the same time that I, in, in any way possible, be able to help my family back home too. So that's pretty much how we started it. Um, so I came, and when I when I got here, uh, at the age of 15, um, I had that kid side of me excited to be in a country like this, but I also had a more mature side of me, knowing the responsibility, knowing that I wouldn't be like any other kid, that I had, I wouldn't say a burden, but a responsibility. Um, as a 15-year-old. Uh, so it was kind of crazy in a way 
to, as a 15-year-old, being told that I had to go out and look for a job uh, to provide for my family and also to be able to sustain myself in the country. Um, so I remember uh, my uncle telling me, oh, you go out, we know we don't speak English, but the only thing that you're going to look for is a sign saying help wanted. So every time you see that sign, you walk through those doors, you know, and, and you're going to get a job. So as a 15-year-old walking into the streets of Oakland, um, trying to find a job, you know, uh, it was, at the time, it was exciting because I was a kid. You know, it was, it felt like an adventure. But at the same time, um, I was faced with the hardship of, of, of literally, like, seeing that first sign at that place, at that pizza place in, on, on Piedmont, uh, and, and walking through those doors, and the first thing that I said was, help wanted. <laughs> you know, that's it. <laughs> and then the person at the, at the counter would start saying a lot of things and I couldn't understand so she pulled someone from the back it was a, a guy speaking Spanish and we were able to have some kind of conversation you know and uh, I ended up being hired uh, and I worked in that place for a month till the time came when the manager approached me and said hey I need your social so we could pay you and I had no idea what that was. So I next day I brought my passport in. Um, so that didn't work out. Um, he said, I can't keep you here. I'm going to pay you uh, for, for, the, for the 30 days that you were here, but I can't keep you here. Um, you have no work authorization or anything like that. So for me, that was tough. That was a, uh, I was beginning to understand the reality. You know, at the age of 15, I was beginning to experience uh, the difficulties of being undocumented. Uh, and um, so after that, it was just a crazy journey, you know, uh, getting a job here, you know, having to work under the table because I was, you know, 15, uh, almost 16 at the time. Uh, but knowing that I had to work because I had to maintain myself in this country, pay my bills, uh, the rest of the money I would send out uh, back home to help my family. So um, it's, uh, it's something strange for people to hear, you know, uh, someone at this age having this kind of responsibility, but that was my life. So what were the steps that led you to enrollment at UC Davis? And um, tell us about your passion for education and learning. All right. So uh, I was always passionate about school. Uh, it's something that I, that I love. And uh, I think one of the hardest things for me in this country was the fact that I had to put that aside because I had responsibilities. So uh, just 
not being able to be in school for me was really, really hard in the beginning. And, uh, and it was something that I didn't, I didn't give up, but I had to put on hold, uh, because of all the stuff that, that was going on and, and, and all those responsibilities. Um, and I remember back in 2012, uh, I was already, uh, married, uh, and I remember having conversations with my wife in the beginning of our, of our marriage, uh, just telling her, I really want to go to school. I really don't want to go back to school. I really want to pursue, you know, uh, my dreams and, 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 and achieve, uh, things that I, that I've dreamed before and, 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 um, she will be a great supporter. She was always a great supporter. She would tell me there's going to be the right time, you know, uh, so don't give up on, on your dreams. You know, I know it's not working out right now for you to go back to school and, and pursue your education, but there's going to be the right time. And, and I remember in three years later, you know, back in 2012, I was finally able to, uh, register at, uh, Contra Costa College in, in San Pablo. I started my, my education again. And for me, I mean, I was, I was feeling like a teenager at the time, you know, going to school, you know, getting my backpack and, you know, getting everything started. you know, um, I remember like feeling so good, you know, to go to class and, and listen to a professor, you know, um, coming home, doing my homework. I mean, it was, it, it was exciting. So first year went by, you know, uh, second year and then third year. And then this question, you know, like, okay, you're getting your associate's degree. So what's next? And then I said, I, I will continue this. And my wife fully supported me, you know, like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, you know, financially, I have no idea, you know, and for a moment, I thought that, you know, I was going to get some, I was going to qualify for some kind of help. You know, I was a, a DACA at the time and I felt like, okay, this is going to work out. So I applied and because I was, you know, married and kids family, I told myself I can't apply to a lot of schools, so I'm just going to pick two. So I picked UC Berkeley and UC Davis. I did a tour in both, you know, but when I came here, I fell in love. Uh, just the amount of love and, 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 and friendship and, and just people are so warm, you know, and nothing against UC Berkeley, <laughs> but I fell in love. <laughs> There's some UC Berkeley people here. Out of I, I felt in love for this place, and uh, and I applied. You know, I applied. I got accepted. Uh, I share a, I share a little bit of my my journey on my personal statement, um, but at the same time, I, I didn't want them to to accept me just based upon my my journey and the struggles that I that I went through, but, uh, but I wanted to be accepted because, you know, I was a qualified student to be here and, uh, it was great. You know, I started it and I remember like the first quarter, you know, um, you have, you know, uh, the place where you have to f file for, you know, 
assistance and this and that. And I remember like doing everything and then they started asking for a lot of stuff and all of a sudden I caught myself not being qualified for anything. <laughs> um, not even the AB 540. And that's when I came and I met Andrea uh, Gaitan and she's been with me throughout this journey, you know, trying to put our brains to work, trying to find possible ways to create some kind of, you know, to, to find something that I would be able to get help. Uh, but, uh, it's been a, it's been a, a roller coaster, you know, but, you know, I appreciate the, the people, uh, during this process that I got to meet and just help me, uh, keep that flame alive, you know, and finish it. Uh, I'm approaching now my last quarter, so I'm very excited. So, um, what are your chosen studies and why the interest in the Cadet Academy? And you'll have to explain to people here what the Cadet Academy is. And just so that everyone knows, he referred to Andrea Gatan, and she is here with us today with her um, children. And so, um, welcome. Whenever we go to the center, this is the person I would look for, and I'd try to figure out exactly when is she going to be there when I bring the snacks, because this was our connection um, to programming. Okay, uh, so um, political science, uh, I've always been very involved with any type of like community outreach. It's something that I'm truly passionate about, uh, something that I'm part of at my, at my church, um, involving in like helping the homeless, uh, Anything that has to do with like helping, extending your hand and, and, and being that help. Uh, I participated on the outreach of like the Santa Rosa uh, fires and, and things like that. It's, it's really something that moves my heart and, and, I, and I feel that this is my, my mission. So when I, uh, when I was thinking about my major, you know, I said I wanted to do something that I can give back. You know, not not something that I'm just going to get a career out of it and, 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 and work and make money. But I want something that, you know, I'll be able to connect with people, I'll be able to to really, you know, help others in any level possible. So uh, so I decided to go for uh, political science, public service, um, and... Uh, the cadet program, it's kind of interesting because um, I had a passion and a, a desire and a wish to become a police officer. I always had um, a lot of respect for, for, for people that, you know, really decide to give their lives for a cause, whether it's a military uh, or being in the light of duty as a police officer. So, uh, and at the same time, you know, I wanted to be um, someone that would uh, be an, an impact in the community. Um, I remember having, you know, encounters with, with police officers being pulled over for a traffic stop and things like that. And as a non-documented, when you see those lights in the back of your car, man, you get like, 
anxious and, and, and fear and, and so much stuff goes on because first, you know, you, you, you don't know the language that well. Um, you also know that you are undocumented and, 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 and there's the, that, that fear, you know, and, and after going through that and, and, and having this, this opportunity that came, I, I, I say this because, you know, the CADAP program was something that, you know, I was going through the website, the UC Davis website, and I came across that, you know. Um, because I knew that I wasn't a citizen, I knew that um, I wouldn't be able to be a police officer. So it was another dream that I had to put aside, at least for the moment. So when I came across the CADAP program and I saw that, I needed. I didn't need to be a, a citizen to to enroll. I was like, "This is my chance," so I'm going for it. So, the cadet program is a program that the UC Davis Police Department has. That it's not only for people that are uh, that have, that has a desire to become a police officer, but people that just want to understand a little bit more what it's like to be a police officer. Uh, what a police officer will do on a daily basis and things like that. So there's no commitment. So when you sign up for the program, uh, there's nothing there that you sign that, oh, you, you have to be a police officer or you will be a police officer. It's basically just, you know, an opportunity for you to get an insight of what it's like. And it's a, it's a really nice program. They have, uh, this program for six years now. Um, and uh, I remember signing up for this program. Uh, it's a program where they uh, accept 25 uh, uh, applicants. And uh, after you pass the, the, the application process, you know, uh, you start. It's a five-month uh, program duration. You have to be in there about three days a week for a few hours for training and stuff. So that's pretty much what the academy is. You know, it's pretty much a, a program where you understand a lot about police, uh, you understand a lot about law enforcement, but you also do a lot of outreach around the community. You know, I remember going for like homeless shelters, you know, feeding the homeless, uh, uh, doing, uh, we do this uh, cough uh, uh, with the police where, you know, we just, you know, set up a, a, a coffee uh, a place where we can, like, sit down and talk to people and talk to the community and understand the community and, and try literally, like, to build bridges as much as possible. Can you take us right up to the the time of graduation of the cadet program and just um, fill us in on that last those last couple of steps? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so the cadet program, uh, like I said, it's not required for you to become a police officer, but at the same time, um, during this process, they grant three positions. They so they pretty much offer three positions to become a police officer for the UC Davis Police Department. So the best, the top of the class, uh, will get this opportunity to uh, be hired by the department. So they will give you a full scholarship for the, for the police uh, academy itself, six months training, and then after that, you know, you come to be a police officer at, uh, 
at the UC Davis campus. So um, I remember when I started the, the, the cadet program, I told my wife, I want to get that spot. I want to do this, you know. So the first thing was like really trying to, you know, be as good as you could and do uh, as much as you could. And I really dedicated myself to that program uh, during my time there uh, to the point where I was elected the platoon leader for the class um, after the, the third week. And uh, for me, that was, a, that was like surreal, you know, just, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> this feels so good, you know, and, and, and after, you know, uh, two months, three months, you know, uh, I, I felt so good to, to be in a position where, you know, I had the cadets looking up to me, you know, I had the cadets, uh, really like, you know, uh, just, you know, being happy that I was there as, as the platoon leader, you know, uh, just being, feeling accepted, even though I had so many limitations of language, you know, the fact that, you know, I'm not a citizen, which is something that I never told them, you know, just, it's one of the things that as undocumented, you feel uncomfortable, you know, uh, you try to, you try to camouflage as much as possible. You try to blend in as much as possible because it's not a comfortable position. So uh, every time people talk about citizenship and stuff, you, you kind of like, whoa, you know, you get uncomfortable. Um, so just being accepted by them regardless, you know, even though they never came up to my face and say, hey, are you a citizen? You know, um, it felt good to have that acknowledgement. So I remember, you know, getting this position. I felt good about it. And um, we were approaching the end of, of, of the program. And they said that they were going to have a board interview with a few candidates. And then if you pass that board interview, you would go to the chief's interview. And they were going to select just a few uh, to go through uh, the chief's interview to finally be able so they could pick the, the best of the class. So I was able to pass the board interview, and then I also passed the chief's interview. And uh, I got a call two days from the graduation. Officer Hoagland called me and said, hey, I wanted to talk to you about your situation. And um, uh, I want to know about your status. And I'm like, what do you mean? You know, <laughs> my status? <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, like, you know, your situation, I'm, and I told him, I'm, I'm, uh, documented, you know, he was like, documented, okay, what, what's that? And I'm like, okay, so, you know, deferred action, yeah, when President Obama signed the deferred action back in 2012, you know, uh, I was able to be, uh, to apply and, and, and get into that program. So, you know, I have, you know, a work permit now, I have a social, and that's what I have. So he was like, uh, okay, so let me do some research about it, because here's, here's, here's the situation. You're at the top of the class, we picked you, we want you, we want to hire you, but we don't know what to do. We, we honestly don't know what to do. 
Uh, I talked to Chief Farrell. We have no idea how this works. So let me get back to you. So I was, I was anxiously, anxious, anxiously waiting for it. He called me again, and he said, okay, so this is what it is. Unfortunately, we're not going to offer you the position because you have to be a citizen or at least, uh, you know, have your green card because uh, otherwise there, there's, there's no way for us to hire you, you know. And for me at that moment, you know, I was like, sh I mean, I was shattered, you know. I was like, man, I put so much heart into this. I dedicated so much, you know. Uh, why? You know, it's always like that, that question, like, why, you know. Uh, and I remember, like, getting ready for, for graduation. For me, it was one of the hardest things for me to do because uh, as a platoon leader, I was a speech that night. Uh, you know, I was responsible for, for the speech part for the class and for me to be able to really gather myself and 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 and, and go through that moment you know uh it was like one of the hardest things you know and i remember like walking in a room right before graduation uh a lot of the cadets approached me and say are you ready and i'm like yeah man i'm ready i'm excited you know yeah you know you're gonna get that position right and i'm like no, I mean, I, I didn't say anything because I I would have to explain myself and I didn't want to get into it, you know. So it was painful. It was painful to, to get that, to be qualified and yet, you know, you're not qualified. You know, you have all the qualifications, but you cannot do it because of this, you know. So for me, it was tough. The whole time during graduation was very tough you know when they started calling out names you know of the three that they were going to hire you know it's kind of interesting because when they called the first name i had the cadets like kind of like looking at me expecting them to call my name and then they called the second one and then they called the final one and you know i had one of my you know, close friends sitting next to me, one of the cadets, and he was like, what's going on? You know, we know that, 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 that you were supposed to be there. And, and, and I was like, no, if I'm not there, I'm not supposed to be there. You know? So for me, that was like a tough night just personally. But at the same time, you know, I was happy. I was happy with all of my friends that, that got the spot, you know, we became a family, you know. Uh, it was uh, 22 cadets because three uh, kind of gave up, but you, we, we became a family. So regardless of me not getting the spot, it was just something personal with me that I was always asking that question, why, you know. But, you know, uh, I was happy at the end, you know. I was like, okay, I was able to get through this. It was painful, but I was able to finish it, finish up strong, you know. That was pretty much it. But we know the story is not over, and um, we do have to be mindful of our time. Mm -hmm. But to take us <clears throat> to that very next step, which I know mm -hmm. will continue in a way that we will hear about another yeah. time, but mm -hmm. not because we don't want to take the time, but because of other mm -hmm. issues. Mm -hmm. Could you take us yeah. to those yeah. last conversations? Yeah, yeah. So basically, uh, at the end of graduation, you know, when I got my certificate, 
uh, right at the moment that I was shaking hands with uh, Chief Farrell, he was, uh, I want to talk to you at the end. So I said, wow, you know, I mean, I was already feeling so honored to be shaking the hand of a man like Chief Farrell. You know, he's, uh, he was ahead of the, uh, he was a commissioner for the CHP for, for so many years, you know, and have so much respect for him. Um, I said, yes, for sure. You know, I was excited. So I, um, uh, talked to him at the end. He said, I want you to come to my office. I want to talk to you. I want to understand more about your situation, you know, um, and I want to see what I can do about it. So uh, I came to his office uh, a few weeks later, and I was able to talk to him and explain to him a little bit more because one of the things that I noticed is that a lot of people don't know much about it, you know, and it's... Uh, it's when, when, when people don't know about it and, 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 you know, they try to get beats and pieces of, of what it is, you know, and, um, I was able to really go over a lot of stuff with him and explain to him. And, you know, he told me, um, I don't know what's, what's possible. I don't know what is doable, but whatever I can do, you know, along with the team that we have, you know, uh, to help you. I don't know what needs to be done because there are requirements, you know. Uh, Post has requirements in order for you to become a police officer in California, you know. Uh, I even shared, this is something that uh, I shared with uh, uh, him and other people. There are states in the United States that you don't need to be a citizen to be a police officer. Uh, like Hawaii, for example, in, in uh, Chicago Police Department, you don't have to be a, a citizen. Uh, as long as you have a work permit uh, and a social, you can become a police officer. So, uh, but here in California, uh, it's controlled by post, so they have the requirements. And in order for anything change to change, you know, it needs to be, it has to be with legislation, you know. So we don't know what's possible. Uh, well, all I can tell you is that whatever it's within my reach, I'll, I want to do it because uh, you were the one that we want to hire. Uh, you have all the qualifications. You know, I am certain that you'd be a great police officer, a great addition for this agency here. Uh, but as of right now, I can only tell you that, uh, you know, I can I will try to do whatever I can to be able to help you. So the story is not over for Tiago, and we will be listening and taking his lead. So he will be letting us know what he needs from us and what he needs from the larger community, and we'll be there to support him. So if it's legislation, you know that we'll be interested. Tiago, just, I mean, just a few sentences to cap off mm -hmm. your dream for your future, but also your relationship with the country. Mm -hmm. uh, my dreams. I have a lot of dreams. I know. <laughs> just a couple. Yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of dreams. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, personally, it's just to, you know, be a role model um, to my family, to my kids. Uh, to the people around me, to be able to 
just impact others in the in a community in a way that it don't matter what you go through, it don't matter where you came from. Uh, you can do it, you know. There's no limit, you know. It's all about resilience. You know, it's all about pressing forward. And uh, I wanted to be a role model. I wanted to, what I do, it's, 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 it's not looking just for my own benefit. You know, everything that I do is, you know, I try to set an example. I try to path a, a way for other people that are coming, you know. And I think that's one of my biggest dreams. And, you know, I have shown over and over my love for this country. And uh, and how grateful I am to be here because I was able to help my family, you know, uh, not only here but back home. So I only have good intentions here, you know, and uh, I appreciate all the welcoming people that I got to meet. Alex, will you lead us in prayer? Friends, let's gather together in a moment of stillness and reflection we call prayer. Spirit of love, life, and justice, you who go by many names, We are grateful for your presence now. We are grateful for this opportunity to worship together in community. We pray for our undocumented and DACA-protected friends, neighbors, and family members. And we lift up prayers of safety for the immigrant caravan coming up from Latin America. We give thanks for our children and our elders, those who lead and teach and learn with us. We especially lift up our ancestor, Kathy Tucker, whose life will be celebrated here this afternoon. We give thanks for those who struggle for justice. And we ask for Strength for those who struggle for health. We give thanks for those who serve our vulnerable and are marginalized. And we give thanks for moments of resiliency and strength, of vulnerability and care. And now, beloveds, let us lift up our hearts for a moment of silence as we pray for those that are on our hearts and minds. For those prayers that have been spoken and those that remain in the silent sanctuary of our hearts, we give thanks.
Amen and blessed be. Please take hands or take a shoulder, whatever is most comfortable for you so that everyone is joined together. And please do come out for the Get Involved tables and meet Tiago and the whole family. The closing words are from 1 Corinthians, verse 16. Keep alert. Stand firm in your faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Let all you do be done in love. And let this gathering say amen. Amen.